Welcome to Pushing the Limits, the show that helps you reach your full potential with your host, Lisa Tarmati, brought to you by lisatarmati.com. Well, hey everyone, Lisa Tarmati here and fantastic to have you back at Pushing the Limits this week. Now, I have a wonderful man who I've followed for a number of years. He's one of my heroes. I was a little bit of a fangirl on this interview, I have to admit, but it was pretty crazy. Um, I have Commander Mark Devine on the show, and Mark is a ex Navy SEAL. Uh, he's a commander, and he was a commander in the in Navy SEALs. He was there with, for twenty years, and he was a fantastic leader. He was deployed in over forty five countries around the world, and he also trains uh, trained a lot of the SEALs uh, who were going into Buds training. Uh, he was number one on his course when he went through Buds, and that's saying something. That's nine months of hell on earth. So if you get through there, you've got to be pretty cool. And to be number one out of the whole 180 that went in is pretty amazing. He is the author of a number of books, um, Steering Down the Wolf, uh, Unbeatable Mind, and Seal Fit, uh, and runs a number of multi-million dollar companies and is a leadership consultant and trains not only uh, he's, you know, trains the military and helps um, people prepare for SEAL training. He also now runs through his innovative seal fit and unbeatable mind training systems, uh, Kokoro Crucible, which is one of his programs. And he shares the same secrets to entrepreneurs, executives, and teams through his book and through his speaking and through his award-winning podcast. He has his own, and I have the privilege of being on that one shortly. And he runs you know, world-renowned leadership and team events. So wonderful man to talk to. Uh, someone that I really, really look up to and respect. Uh, his discipline that he brings to everything he does is, is, is quite amazing. So I hope you enjoy the show. Uh, before we go, I just want to remind you to check out our epigenetics program. If you haven't already, head over to lisatamati.com and hit the work with us button and find out about our peak epigenetics program. Now, this is all about understanding your genetics and how to optimize them for your best performance. So everything from, uh, from food to exercise, what types of exercise to do, what times of the day that you should be training, what times of the day you should be eating and how often, what type of diet is right for you, right down to the nitty gritty you know like really you know eat almonds don't eat cashew nuts you know and right specific to your genetics so to speak um it also looks at your whole mood and behavior what makes you tick why do you think the way you do what areas you may have problems with your predispositions and that's not to be all deterministic and negative that's all to be like this is what you're dealing with and this is how we can head things off at the past this is a really life-changing program um and we're really proud to bring it to you we've been doing it for a number of years now we've taken hundreds of people through this program and we work with corporate teams so if you're out there and you have a corporate team that might be interested in doing either this or our boost camp program which is all about upgrading and uh, learning all about how to manage stress how to reduce the effects of stress um, and be more resilient and bring a higher performance to your game then please reach out to us go over to lisatarmody.com and check out all all the programs that we have there. Just want to remind you too, I have a new book out called Relentless, How a Mother and Daughter Defied the Odds. If you've listened to this podcast for a while, you would have heard me harp on about my amazing mum and the journey that we've been on back from a massive aneurysm that left her at the age of 74 with hardly any higher function and a prognosis that said she would never, ever do anything again. And uh, they were very, very wrong. 
So I want to share this book. I want to share this story because it's a very empowering story. So if you haven't read the book Relentless, I really encourage you to go and do that. I'm really keen to get this out there because this will empower and change lives and already has. So make sure you read Relentless. Right now, over to the show with Commander Mark Devine. Well, hi everyone. Lisa Tamati here. Super, super excited. I'm jumping out of my skin. I can't sit still. <laughs> I have one of my great heroes that I've followed for such a long time. So I'm, I'm a little bit, uh, you know, being a bit of a fangirl right now, but um, I'm sure I'll calm down in a minute or two. Um, Commander Mark Devine is with us. Uh, he, he has such a, a huge history. You are known really as the, the warrior man, unbeatable mind, seal fit. Uh, you've done a heck of a lot in your life, uh, Mark, and, and it's just, uh, I can't wait to share some of your, your insights because uh, what you do and what you've done is just absolutely amazing. So welcome to Pushing the Limits. Um, can, you, can you give us a little bit of uh, background, Mark, on, on where you come from and what you've done and, and how you've, uh, you know, just to, to give us a little bit of, of, because obviously you've been in the SEALs, you're a commander in the SEALs, you've trained SEALs. So let's start there. Let's <laughs> Let you come to word. <laughs> oh my God! Where to where to start? So <laughs> maybe childhood. <laughs> quick, yeah, right. Quick recap. I, was, <laughs> I was born at a very young age in a very small town <laughs> in upstate New York, a province of the United States. No, <laughs> you know, I, I'll try to keep this like short because I, you know, sometimes I I have a few run-on sentences. <laughs> that go like 40 minutes, right? We don't want that to happen. So, yeah, I was a pretty normal kid growing up, running around the woods of upstate New York, crazy family, lots of alcohol and, you know, um, anger. The belt would come out pretty much every other night. And my, my brother and I would literally just provoke my father just to do it because <laughs> <laughs> we stopped taking him seriously after a while. In that regard, um, I feel pretty fortunate that my, my young spirit was like, you can't break me, you know? And I realize now that, you know, we all, we all choose our parents. Let's just say from a spiritual perspective, I certainly believe that for certain experiences. And, and for a while I played the victim, like, what was me? But now I look back and like, like, thank God, like they, yeah. that really forged my mental toughness resiliency. And I had to unpack some crap from that, obviously, but it made me a Navy SEAL warrior, right? When I went through Navy SEAL training, you could not hurt me. Because wow. nothing was compared to my dad. Wow. Anyway, so that's a little aside. Upstate New York had a really, uh, it's beautiful. I, I've been to your country in New Zealand. It's just absolutely gorgeous. Okay. I feel the same way about America in certain places, even though we're much bigger. But New York is one of those areas, six million acres of unfettered uh, protected land in northern New York called the Adirondack Mountains. And that was my playground. And our summer home was on the west shore of a lake called Lake Placid, where the Olympics were. You're probably familiar mm-hmm. with that. Yep. And um, there was no road access to my house. There was no TV, no internet. Still, there's finally internet up there, but no TV. And we would have to take a boat to get there. And so I grew up with boats and I grew up hiking in the Adirondacks and a lot, a lot of time alone in the wilderness, which is one of the reasons I became kind of an endurance athlete. I know you're an endurance athlete because I was comfortable being alone. I was comfortable running the trails in the mountains and used to have a friend. We would run up Whiteface Mountain, which was at the base or the foot of Lake Placid and um, not a huge month, 4,000 feet, but you know, it, was, it took a couple hours. If you're going to hike up there, it takes a, couple, takes a few hours. 
for us to run up there, it took us 45 minutes. <laughs> People used to think we were crazy. When we got to the top, we would wrap our ankles and our knees and we would play tag on the way down. And you know, the trails are steep and just rocks and ruts and roots. It's amazing we didn't kill ourselves. So that was my like early childhood upbringing. Nature, being in the woods and in the water were my solace away from the family dynamics. Mm-hmm. That led me to be a competitive athlete in high school, 12 varsity letters. And then into college, I was recruited for swimming and I became a competitive rower. And then I started triathlon. So, so I was an athlete, but the athletics really was my escape and kind of my grounding rod, like it is for so many athletes, right? And um, when I, then I, I wasn't sure what was going to happen I didn't really spend a lot of time in my youth thinking about my future. Mm. I kind of accepted a lot of the stories from my family that I was going to go back and be part of the family business. That business was really the place that divines go. You know, we don't go into the military. We don't go into academia. We don't do those things. (laughs) And so anyways, as as your listeners are hearing this, they're probably like, yep, check. (laughs) (laughs) That's the norm, right? That's not anything. I wasn't off, but... It's certainly not what I teach today, right? Like, yeah. Because, right? I think if yeah. we're if we don't follow our passion and find our calling in life, then we're we're going to have discomfort later on. That discomfort is going to lead to existential crisis. Yeah. So I was very fortunate, incredibly fortunate, that when I left college, I got a job with a big accounting firm, consulting accounting firm called Coopers and Libran, which became you Price were Waterhouse. accountant. I mean, it, oh, yeah, I was in a, makes me laugh. I was an accountant. Really. <laughs> All right. I was I was on the way to being an accountant too because of what my dad wanted, and I was like, I'm about as far from it as an accountant as you can get, you know. Yeah. And I well, I was too. Your story. <laughs> it's like yeah, yeah. But I stuck with it if long enough to become a certified public accountant. Wow. I had to pass the exam. I didn't. <laughs> I got my, <laughs> I'll tell you what, I would rather go back to buds, maybe seal training than, than try that darn exam again. What a pain <laughs> yeah. you I hear you. So that told me something right there, but you know, it was a great opportunity because here I am, you know, I got a, a degree from a pretty good university called Colgate, but I didn't really have any skills. And so this job opportunity gave me, it sent me to a, a top business school in the United States called NYU, New York universities. So I got my MBA in finance and I became a certified public accountant. And for four years, I got to work on a lot of different companies as a, you know, consultant and auditor. And, you know, so I saw a lot, but, and so that was kind of formative in a sense. Like I learned a lot. What was probably more formative or more substantial for me was, you know, once I got into that suit and tie and I was working eight hours a day, it, it, mind you, they allowed me to work only eight or 10 hours a day. Most people in those scenarios work 15 to 20, but, but because they were sponsoring the small group of us to go to business school at night, they had to let us off. And then we would go mm-hmm. to school f- full time during the summer and just come in on Fridays. It was a really cool program. So I was working eight to 10 hours a day, going to school at night. And, um, and, and I was an athlete. Right. And I was like, how am I going to, how am I going to stay as an athlete? Right. Most people don't, right, no, as you know, in the corporate that. world. And yeah. I was like, I've got to, I've got to continue my athletic career. And, and so I would get up really early in the morning and go for a six mile run. And then at lunchtime, when all my peers would go have a beer or martini at lunch, I would go to the gym and do like this, what I now know is a high intensity you know, functional workout, which back then nobody talked about because <laughs> I had to go fast and I was, wanted to do a lot of different variety and I had to be in and out of there in 45 minutes. 
And then after um, they let me go at five o'clock in the afternoon and my first class wasn't until 7.30. So I'm looking at that saying, look, I got two and a half hours. I can do some training here. So one night I wasn't sure what I was going to do, but one night I was walking down 23rd street. I was living on 22nd in Manhattan and I heard these screams coming out of this building and I stopped and I looked up and I was standing under the flag of the world Sado karate headquarters. And I was like, Oh, interesting. Hmm. Maybe it's a martial art. And um, I had been intrigued with the martial arts, but in upstate New York, there just wasn't much. There was nothing as a matter of fact in my town. And so I um, didn't really get a chance to study anything. So I went in there and I, I was, floored like i was stunned by what i saw it was an incredible art um this was the headquarters of a worldwide art called sado that had three or four hundred thousand students and wow. and the grandmaster the founder was on the center of the floor oh, this wow. japanese man 10th degree black belt looked like a freaking tank and he was <laughs> his name was nakamura and he became my mentor my first real mentor yeah now what's interesting lisa is it wasn't really the karate that changed me it was the zen training Yep. And he is one of the few masters who kept the old ways of, of training the mind and the body and the spirit and understood that they all had to be in balance and they all were part of the package of developing, you know, these karatekas, these, these trainees. And I loved the Zen part. And there was a, a Zen class we had every Thursday night for an hour. We would sit on the little wooden Zazen bench. And honestly, this, this studio as a headquarters had well over a thousand students. Wow. There were 10 of us in this class, most of them black belts. And I was a white belt. And I was like, where is everyone else? <laughs> they didn't get it. And, and there wasn't a lot of understanding or talk about meditation back then. But boy, did this thing, did the meditation, you know, I had all the usual kind of resistance to it and my monkey mind going all over the place. Yeah. I'm wondering if it really worked. And, but I trusted Nakamura. Yeah. And the way he acted and presented himself, his character, just, just who he was was so different than any other, other human I've ever seen or experienced. And I was like, hmm, there's got to be something to this, right? Mm. So I stuck with it. And it literally changed almost every aspect of who I was and how I saw the world and what I, what I perceived to be my calling and my purpose in life. And it was sitting on that bench that I realized that I was going down the wrong path with this MBA CPA working in the corporate world. Even if I went back to the family business, it just wasn't what I was meant to do. Yeah. And so that it was the first time in my life that I allowed myself to examine my core story that said, this is who I am and to recognize it was built on a lie. Yeah. And you weren't following your true path. I wasn't, I wasn't following my true path, but my true path wasn't exactly laid out for me in those meditation sessions. It was more like the archetypal energy and the arc of my life was shown to me and that and that arc was to be a warrior and then to wow. you know then it would lead somewhere else that wasn't quite clear to me but the warrior part was very strong mm -hmm. and it didn't you know i didn't get messages while i was meditating saying you're going to be a navy seal what i got was warrior and you're going down the wrong path with this business stuff and it was when i finally started to accept that that i learned about the navy seals right remember this is 1987 88 yes. There was no TV shows and movies. We weren't famous about the back then. <laughs> so we weren't famous, yeah, right? <laughs> Nobody knew them. In fact, the few people did know them were like, bunch of crazy guys. <laughs> I was like, so I, one day I was walking home from work and I came across a Navy recruiting station. I didn't even know it was that, but I saw a poster in the window and I took a double take of this poster. I was like, whoa, the title of the poster was Be Someone Special. And it had Navy SEALs doing really cool shit. 
<laughs> jumping out of airplanes. You. Yeah, you know, like locking out of little mini submarines, sneaking through the water. That's just so cool for me. And um, I just sat there kind of transfixed looking at that and didn't say anything about the SEALs. Just said U.S. Navy. And I was like, oh, interesting. So I went back and I talked to the recruiters. I said, what? Who are those people on that poster? <laughs> they said, oh, they're crazy Navy SEALs. You don't want to do that. I said, yeah, I do. Tell me more. <laughs> so long story short, I, I started that whole CPA, MBA bullshit in 1985. Um, in November of 1989, I got my black belt. I got my MBA. I got my CPA. Wow. And I was Thank on you. a bus. I was on a bus to officer candidate school. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Off on the next mission. <laughs> Off on the next mission. I walked, away from, I walked away from probably what would in today's dollars be $200,000 salary to get paid $500 a month. Wow, that takes or as an officer candidate. That takes courage. Wow. <laughs> that alone takes yeah. courage. But I didn't question it. You know, I knew I knew this is the right path. And when I got when I got to SEAL training, we call BUDS, basic underwater demolition mm-hmm. SEAL training. Man, I felt like I was home and there was no way that they were gonna get me to quit. I mean, wow. we used to, other people have said this, but I said this very clearly that like, you'd have to kill me to get me out of here. Yeah. And I don't think they can legally do that, although they sure do try. Right? <laughs> get, get pretty close. <laughs> get pretty close, yeah. I sailed through SEAL training. We had 185 in my class, hardcore, awesome guys. And 19 of us graduated, and I graduated number one in my class. And wow. my entire team, my boat crew that we trained together from day one, graduated with me. Wow. So there's something about that meditation training with Nakamura and the skills and the values around team building and taking my eyes off myself and putting them on others, you know, the taming of the ego that really allowed me to help lead my team to success, right? We made it about the team and not about me and everyone else is about them. And they, you know, the teams, the instructors are, their job is to select the next crop of teammates that they will go to war with. Yeah. So what they're looking for is not who's the toughest guy, not who's yeah. the best athlete. It's the coolest. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Not the best looking, not right ever. It's it's are you a great teammate? Yeah. Are you gonna have my back? Right. And so that's something that I guess I demonstrated. Wow. That's um um a brilliant sort of intro into your to your background. What what fascinates me with you too is that you like you know because the seals are known for being hard asses. I mean you know they they are hard people. They have been through tough stuff. They go through tough stuff every single day that they're they're in there. But you've got this. Um, you've got this meditation side, you do a heck of a lot of yoga. Uh, you do, uh, you talk about authenticity and you know, I know you don't like the word vulnerability, but you, you, you're quite, you're quite, you know, you're open about the, the stuff, you know? Um, and that's quite the opposite of most in the training that you get. Um, I, I suppose this comes from Nakamura being your master that he sort of taught you that very early on, the sort of the both mm-hmm. sides of the, of the mm-hmm. coin. Um, and I get the question quite a lot too, is like when they, when people read what I've done and, and, and achieved and so on, they're like, wow, you must be a super hard ass. And then they meet you and realize that you're actually very vulnerable. I cry a lot. I'm very, you know, <laughs> full of uh, mistakes and problems and, and stuff sure, yeah. uh, that I'm working on at all times. But the, the difference is I think that you, you embrace both sides mm-hmm. and that you are always in pursuit of excellence and you're mm-hmm. always improving and you're always developing. And I found that a really 
uh, interesting combination and someone who's so so you know physically tough and, and mentally tough to have have both sides was that a, a hard thing in the beginning with the seals um I think you're right. I did learn that initially from Nakamura. And so every day, you know, I was so committed every day I would stretch and I would do my breathing practices and, and my visualization, um, while I was going through SEAL training and, and every day in the SEALs, I do some version of that. It was, you know, it's difficult for a military operator to keep a daily dedicated practice going. Yeah. You're, you know, you're up yeah. 24 hours a day and you're in combat. But honestly, when I went to Iraq in combat, I meditated and trained yoga every single day. Wow. And, it had a profound effect on me, right? In the war zone, all my, my teammates are just getting mm-hmm. frayed at the edges and I felt strong and confident and I knew I was going to survive because I did, I had that vision that I was going to be home with my child, you know, my wife and son. Um, so it came first from Nakamura and then um, I started to into yoga. You know, it's not my career. It's important people to know. I did, I was 20 years in the Navy SEAL, but about nine years active duty and 11 years reserved. Mm-hmm. So as reserve, so nine years after I joined, um, and even, even while I was in active duty, I started to get into yoga, but when I got off active duty, I had more time. I went full on in and that was because actually it was a blessing in disguise. I was living in San Diego and there was no Sado karate out here. Otherwise I would have gotten back into Sado karate. So at first I got into something called Goju karate. I got a black belt there, but it was very similar to Sado, but it, didn't, it lacked the spirit and it lacked the mental you know, the meditation. So I didn't really stick with that. And then I got into ninjutsu thinking ninjutsu might be a little bit more spiritual. And I really liked the teacher, but he, um, he was a horrible business guy. And so right on the cusp of me getting my black belt, he shut his school down and oh, ran out of money. And, and, um, and then I found, I found yoga kind of about the same time in ninjutsu, but I, I didn't really understand it until I read, um, uh, Patanjali's Yoga Sutras and also uh, Paramahansa Yogananda's Autobiography Yoga. And, th- and those things just absolutely like shattered my paradigm of what was possible and, and what yoga was wow. as the oldest science of mental and personal development. So I fully went into yoga and I ended up getting uh, like 700 hours of certifications and started my own yoga program and wrote a book about it eventually, but, and started teaching it to SEALs. And so all this, I was still a SEAL officer because I didn't retire from the SEALs in 2011, but I was able to do all this and build a business that mm. started to teach Navy SEALs everything I had been learning. And that's called SEALFED. That was the business that everything I've been learning and applying in my own life, right? And this was this integrated model of development that started with Nakamura, where it wasn't just about the physical. It was about physical, it was about mental, it was about emotional, it was about intuitional and spiritual aspects of our being. And that I learned that if you train those together, then you will integrate, you'll become whole again. And when, what that means is you become more, you have access to more of yourself, after more potential. You can maintain peak performance. You can serve more profoundly. You can do more. You've got way more energy, way more enthusiasm, way more motivation, way more peace of mind, way more clarity. It's extraordinary. In a sense, it's like coming back to who we are. That's why I call it integration. In fact, the word yoga means u- union or integration. And so does Zen, believe it or not. Those practices and traditions are really all about becoming whole as a human again, as opposed to fragmented and separate, separated from yourself and separated from others. So I stumbled upon this and created my own path or my own model. And then when I had started to teach it to SEALs and special operators and other military operators, and a ton of people even from New Zealand, some of your listeners might have been to my training. <laughs> <laughs> then, and then um, 
I started to recognize that, wow, this is like, this is necessary in our culture because most Westerners have no connection to this, yep. uh, this way of living of, mm-hmm. of, of the, you know, taking care of the internal while you are working in the external, the yin and the yang, the balance between being and doing, becoming whole again. So you can do oh, your work from a whole perspective as opposed to a fragmented separated self perspective, which leads to suboptimal results at a minimum. Yeah. And it leads to flat out crisis or destruction at the maximal level. Yes. And that's, we're seeing that both in a, from the, you know, investment in violence, military buildup, conflict, as well as environmental degradation. It's because human beings have not learned to be whole and they don't recognize that we're all interconnected and every one of our thoughts, every one of our emotions, every one of our actions has an implication or or an impact on the whole. Yep. This is gold. This is really gold. Because I think, you know, like we live our lives very much in the, you know, in the, in the doing, you know, we're, we're we're busy all day. We're distracted with a billion, billion things. We're running businesses. We're, you know, got families and so on. And and it's really hard to find that stillness. And I know that even as an athlete who I think for for years, I was just head through the wall. Be, you know, take a teaspoon. Most people are. Hard, hard, that's hard, all they learn until, they, until learn. they hit the wall, right? Yeah, and no, I hit the wall. Don't worry. I hit the wall, and, and you know, a couple of dozen times before because I was a bit thick. You know, I didn't sort of wake up and hang on, this stuff isn't working anymore. And it works when you're 20, and it works right. when you're 25, and it works when you're 30. And, but when you start hitting your 40s and you're small smashing the crap out of your body and you're not, you're not refilling the tank and you're not re examining what the hell are you doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's when the wheels started. Well, that's when the wheels started to fall off for me. And I'm like, hang on mm-hmm. a minute, this why isn't my body doing like it was what it was mm-hmm. supposed to do? And when you've grown yes. up though with that expectation of you, you have to be tough, you have to be hard. And I grew up, uh, you know, like different to you, but I had a, a dad who was very, he was an awesome father, but he was a hard ass. And mm-hmm. he, he expected you to be tough and mentally tough, physically tough. He didn't really tolerate a lot of weakness or sickness or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And he, he was, you know, amazing dad, but he pushed really hard. Um, and that sort of makes you think, well, you have to be hard all the time. And then, you, and then when you break down, then that's you being weak, you know, um, instead mm-hmm. of looking at the whole picture and quietening the mind and doing these yeah. things like meditation was for me. Yeah, I know. I hear it's really important, but I can't sit still. Well, right. I need it twice as much. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a reason for that. It'd be fun to talk about, but, you know, think about, you know, when I reflect back in my SEAL training and all these other guys were trying to be hard and they had the same thinking, you know, because yeah. America has a real soft side to it. But there's there's a lot of freaking warriors in America. Yeah. And, yeah. and we have that same kind of like what your dad's talking mm. about, you know, mm. like you got to be hard. Like there's yeah. no there's no room for weakness. It's got to be tough. And you think about the metaphor, you know, the guys who quit were just badasses. Yeah. But why did they quit? They quit because they didn't, they lacked the emotional strength to understand what was happening to them in their either most extreme moments of crisis or, you know, moments of just doubt, right? And then they're like, ah, oh, so they let uncertainty and they let doubt creep in and to kind of corrupt their decision making. And then, you know, one, one mistake leads to an injury we call a quinjury. Quinjury, and you've probably seen this in endurance athletes, it's when all of a sudden, the injury kind of crops up and and then the person's out 
And the and really, reality is that they created that injury yeah. to quit. Yeah, it may not have been. Wanted a way out. Right, because they wanted, wanted a way out, and yeah. it's very subconscious. It's not preparing. It's it's not preparing properly. It's not recovering properly. It's not understanding that this is you know, you know, it, this is a long game, it, and getting their e- getting their ego out of the way. Right. So. It used to prop up for me like every before any big race, that in the week ahead of that race I would get sick. And I would right. like, I'm sure that that was my subconscious trying to stop me do it. Yeah. yeah. Given you an out, right? And so you have yeah. to push like, down like, no. you, you've got, you've got a cold, you've got the flu. You think about the metaphor between like, if you, if you got a tsunami coming, like the, consider tsunami, a metaphor for a crisis or a big challenge like mm-hmm. buds or, or a 50 mile or hundred mile race or something like that. There's a tsunami coming. Would you rather be a mighty Oak facing that tsunami or would you rather be like a reed a reed <laughs> definitely <Yeah. laughs> so when i went to seal training i tried to be the reed right i tried wow. to be really flexible i didn't let anything bother me you know structures would come up and you know during hell week for us which is week seven back then but now it's more like week three or four uh seven days non-stop training around the clock no sleep everyone's heard about that yep like a day th- thursday like the day before we're over most of the you know we're down to like 60 35 maybe 45 or 50 actually in our class from 185 already and um instructor evil comes over and he's like mark i I don't like you i'm gonna make you quit and in my mind i was like good luck you know what i mean (laughs) and i even think i started their confidence (laughs) i don't know it was just my spiritual strength saying no you're not gonna get me to quit like you can't and so I actually like was challenging him in my mind and it must have come through on my face. And he goes, and I'm going to wipe that smirk right up effing face. And he just, he just made me start doing eight count bodybuilders, which are like a burpee basically. And, um, and, and I remember in my mind thinking, okay, all right, let's do this. Right. All I got to do is one eight count bodybuilder at a time until he gets tired. <laughs> until he gets so, tired <laughs> exactly <laughs> so that's what i did i just did one i just one did one econ bodybuilder and then i just did it one econ bodybuilder and then i just did one econ bodybuilder wow. and when we got up to like so broke eight, it down. Hit. 800 holy heck which is nothing right I've done, i did 24 hours of burpees last a uh, couple of years ago as part of our <laughs> burpee challenge we, we did insane. check this out we did 22 million burpees as a tribe to raise money holy. for veterans And part of that was to break a world record where our six-person team, you would have loved this, three men and three women. Amazing. We did 36,000 burpees in 24 hours. So I did 7,500 or something like that. So so 700 is nothing. I'm going to stop But back then, I didn't know if it was going to be 700 or 7,000 or 70,000. But he got bored and he he walked away at about 700. And I'm just like, okay, that worked. (laughs) That's a good strategy. Well, what about the, you know, like the burning and the muscles and the exhaustion and the running out of glycogen? You can do the- anything one at a time. Wow. It's just like, you know, in a race, I'm sure you get to a point where all you have, all you are saying to yourself yep. is just one, one foot more in front step. of the other. Yeah, one yeah. more step. Yep. Absolutely. Same, it's the same thing. We call <laughs> them micro goals. And so we teach, you know, I started teaching these to SEALs and, and the best, guys already did this but now we teach it and the seals are teaching what i call the big four they're and and they're teaching box breathing for um controlling you know their stress they're teaching um positive internal dialogue 
and mantras and they're teaching visualization and to visualize every event and, and visualize what the end state looks like for you and to visualize the mission and whatnot. And then micro goals, like you don't go to buds thinking about eight months of training. You go to oh. buds thinking about what do I got to do today to win? This. And then when today gets hard, um, you just collapse that to what do I need to do to, to win this evolution or event that I'm in? And then when that gets harder, you know, it's like, what do I got to do to get to the next five minutes? You know, anytime you quit or you have the thought, well, this sucks. I think I want to quit. You just say, well, let me just push through to another, you know, let me just push through another five minutes or let me just get to that berm up there if it's a run or, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean, log PT could go on forever. Let me just finish this evolution. Then I'll make a decision. And so you just keep kicking the can down the road of the pain and the, and the quit decision and the suffering. And eventually the suffering goes away. Because that's a temporary state. And this is like, you just dropped so much gold in, inside of two minutes. I want people to like <laughs> take a couple of those because these are things that I've took me 20 years to learn. You play it back in slow motion. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, because, yeah, this, this whole, that's how I break down, you know, every massive event. Like I remember, and my, my listeners have heard me tell this story, but I ran 2,250 kilometers through New Zealand for charity. Wow. Good for uh, you. <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah, and I was like, um, but I've been so busy in the build-up doing, you know, I've been at other races around the world, done bad water in the States, just come back from that, just launched a book, and then I'm standing at the start line. I've been so busy in the thing that I actually hadn't thought about actually running the, the <laughs> you know, because I was just like, oh, yeah, I got everything, you know, sweet. And then I'm standing at the start line, and I just had a panic attack, like the first real big panic attack. And I not because you're staring down the ba- barrel of this. Like, holy shit, this is 2,000 kilometers. Like, what the heck have I done? Yeah, like, what the, what the frick? Was I thinking? And I went. I, I, you know, we had the media, we had all my my crew and everybody there. And I just went away behind the, one of the cars and got my mum, <laughs> my mummy, because she's my safe place. I went to my mummy and I just bawled my eyes out and said, "I can't do this. I don't know what the frick I was thinking. I just, I, I, I can't, you know. And there's no way out. You, you, you got, you know. Yeah, and mum's just like, hey, it's, you know." She, hugged me this mums do and she and she said you don't need to, to do 2250 today you all i want you to focus on is that letterbox up there you know that was a couple of hundred meters up the road that's what you've got to do right now and then you're going to win you're going to get through to lunchtime and then you're going to have lunch and then sure. we're going to get through to this and that and you know and she just broke it down into pieces and she took all of that load that i was just like oh my god this is huge and she broke it into one step at a time basically and that was some of the the greatest learnings that i've taken away for every event that i've done when and there have been times when i've broken and i've just crashed on the ground and you know like i don't know how to get up and people people have come along and they've got me up and they've walked me through the next few steps you know or the mm-hmm. next mm-hmm. Uh, and that has gotten you over that hump you know right and uh, i just why you know that that's so much gold right there what you've just said that i think if we can do that in daily life so when we're faced with some big scary thing coming at us mm-hmm. how do i just get through this moment and we're very okay. you know like if, if you can get through these impulses you know like the 30 seconds you <laughs> through the 30 seconds almost sometimes you can get to a place where you can cope again and then yeah. you can sort of get back up and this goes back to like the internal dialogue most people don't examine their internal dialogue and this is where meditation is so critical um, and, and you can also consider like running or swimming or biking you know endurance sports generally are also very good for examining internal dialogue you know because you're going to meet okay. resistance yep. and now how you talk to yourself 
has an incredible impact on your energy and your motivation. You know, literally, you know, we use the terminology uh, feeding the courage wolf versus feeding the fear wolf. Yep. Feeding fear is allowing negative dialogue and negative imagery and negative emotions to kind of run the, the rule the roost, right? Yep. Of your psychology. And that weakens you. Like negative thoughts demonstrably weaken you as a human being. Yep. So They're going to not just weaken your motivation, but literally musculature wise, you get weaker. And that's yep. been proven through kinesiology. So positive thoughts create a higher vibration, which bring more energy, more access to more creativity and uh, motivation. And so you got to train positive thoughts. That's what I mean by feeding the courage wolf. And the more you feed the courage wolf by, by training positive mantras and positive thoughts, then the more you starve the fear wolf until he goes away, until he just doesn't have the food anymore. And th those patterns dry up and blow away. So I created a bunch of positive mantras that I would say in the SEAL, in SEAL training. And they're still with me today. Like as soon as I start a hard workout, they kick back in. Feeling good, I'm looking good. Ought to be in Hollywood. I'm feeling good, I'm looking good. Ought to be in Hollywood. I'm feeling good, I'm looking good. Ought to be in Hollywood. I've got this easy day piece of cake. Hoo yah hey. I've got this easy day wow. piece of cake. Hoo yah hey. And then I'll synchronize that with my breathing. So wow. hardcore run. Three steps in. Inhale, one, two, three. I've got this easy day piece of cake. Exhale, one, two, three. Right? Wow. And, and the rhythm is good too. Right? The yeah, exactly. And so I was synchronizing those, remember those four, the big four. The first skill I said, box breathing, but it's really breath control. Yep. So running, swim, anything you're doing, always breathing through your nose as best as possible and controlling the breathing and creating a nice rhythmic pattern with the breathing it's going to be different depending upon what you're doing if you're lifting weights can be one thing if you're running another swimming another swimming creates its own little breathing patterns because mm -hmm. of the you know head in the water versus out of the water and um but just just starting there controlling your breathing and adding a positive mantra or positive internal statement that's linked to the breath is transformative like not only does it keep you in the game athletically or whatever but when you do this during your regular day day in and day out you're training your mind to be really positive and to really be very concentrated. So you're developing concentration power. So you're, you're turning your mind from like a scattered floodlight, which is mind. flickering on and off the monkey mind to like a very, very concentrated laser beam that you can point that laser beam on anything, any task, any project. And it deeply improves your, your productivity, um, the ability to get things done, you know, you know significantly. Wow. Just interrupting the program briefly to let you know that we have a new patron program for the podcast. Now, if you enjoy pushing the limits, if you get great value out of it, we would love you to come and join our patron membership program. We've been doing this now for five and a half years and we need your help to keep it on air. It's been a public service free for everybody and we want to keep it that way. But to do that, we need like-minded souls who are on this mission with us to help us out. So if you're interested in becoming a patron for Pushing the Limits podcast, then check out everything on patron.lisatarmaty.com. That's P-A-T-R-O-N dot lisatarmaty.com. We have two patron levels to choose from. You can do it for as little as $7 a month, New Zealand, or $15 a month if you really want to 
support us. So we we are grateful if you do. There are so many membership benefits you're going to get if you join us. Everything from workbooks for all the podcasts, the strength guide for runners, uh, the power to vote on future episodes, uh, webinars that we're going to be holding, all of my documentaries and much, much more. So check out all the details, patron.lisatamati.com and thanks very much for joining us. And then the imagery, right? The imagery, the, well, let me back up. The, the other thing that that process of paying attention to the quality of your thoughts and changing them to positive thoughts um, and, and increasing your concentration power is you start to look at the, um, the dialogue too in your head. Like what, what is actually going on? And you recognize that typically what's going on in your head is a series of statements that are also based upon belief systems, but it can be framed as questions, mm-hmm. right? And so when people say, I don't think I can do this, mm. what they're really saying is, am I worthy? Am I competent? Right? Yeah. And so we can begin to recognize that our, our belief systems are based upon questions and statements that may or may not be true. And so you want to take a look at the ones that, that are questionable especially if they have a negative quality and say, is that true? And the reality is it's not true. I am worthy. I am competent. Now I may not feel that yet, but the more I tell myself that and the more I can see that in myself and the more that I meditate and actually feel into my worthiness and my competence. And the more I work to eradicate the emotional side or shadow that may have um, be tied or related to that. You know, for me it was because of the childhood abuse, you know, I kind of felt, a little unworthiness and whatnot, even though I was mm-hmm. capable as a seal, it still mm-hmm. kind of plagued me for a while until I had to stare down that wolf of fear and be like, yeah, that's all bullshit. That's just a story that I'm holding on to. And I was able to release all that energy and, and feel that worthiness. Now, then that leads to a whole nother set of questions, which are extraordinarily empowering. Right. So when I, you know, understanding your capability as a human being, the potential that you have, the power that we have, you can then project that into the future and say, what is, what does victory look like for me, right? If I'm going to run this 2000 meter or 2000 kilometer race, and I'm going to raise money for charity, what, what is that for? What's my why? And what is the, what does victory look like? Yep. And so you get a clear sense of what victory looks like. And then you can even do that with the micro parts. Like, so you chunked it down into 100 kilometer segments, let's just say. What does victory look like for that segment, right, for the next five days? And then what does it look like for today? And what does it look like? And this is, in a sense, what your mom was doing, but she was doing it from the other way around. What does it look like for the next six hours? And what does it look like for the next three hours? And then you get a clear picture because you're asking the right questions and you're, and you're, you're winning in your mind before you step foot onto the battlefield. So asking really powerful questions, like what does victory look like? Who is on my team? Who's got my back, right? Why am I doing this? How is it related to my purpose in my life? Mm -hmm. These are the questions that we start asking because now we've drowned out the negative incessant chatter, which is just holding us back and distracting us. And we've created this space and kind of the, I I use the metaphor still water pond, right? We've, we've taken our mind and we've created it instead of this choppy, you know, bouncing all over the place, turbulent thought stream, largely negative. We've, we've calmed it down. And it's now the still water. And on that still water, you know, you can look in it. You can re- you see your reflection clearly. 
Yeah. So that's kind of a nice thing. You get to see your true self more clearly, but also what you drop into that water in terms of the thought is going to ripple out and affect everything. So you end up dropping thought seeds that are really powerful instead of chaotic and negative. Wow. Because this this whole, oh, you know, look, these automatic negative thoughts. And, and, you know, if we think about how we evolved, that that was there for our survivals because we right. needed to be aware of dangers and things in our environment. So we were always looking for the bad thing that was mm-hmm. going to come at us. But in our world now where we're just, you know, we have this constant chatter in our head and it's, you know, uh, you know, I've certainly dealt with this for a long time and I, and I, I fought against the whole sitting still thing um, and, and, and focusing inwards because it's very unpleasant, you know, when you having, you know, when you want to move, you just want to move. But give me a hard ass workout any day of a meditation, sure. you know, because it's just like, you know, this energy that this agitation, but that's why I need to do it. You know, mm-hmm. so that I can break through that that piece of the puzzle, and then you can tap into uh, strengths that you didn't know you had, and quietness, and then you start to really reflect. Um, and like for me, is has only really been uh, even in the last few months where I've been. I, I, my, my dad passed away, and it was one hell of a battle for his Sorry. life. And I, yeah, it was a real, you know, I, had, I was fighting against the system. And it was a massive battle. And it's all good when you win, but it's not so good when you don't win. And so this one just, you know, was a bit of an existential crisis after that, you know, because I'd lost this battle for my dad, who I loved dearly. And uh, it, it made me go in with, it made me start to really question some of the bigger things because you start realizing that life's short, shorter than yeah. you think it's going to be. Right. You're not, you know, you want to understand what, and then going inside and doing some deep work and doing some trauma work and doing all that sort of hard stuff um, has been great, you know, and there's all always good that comes out of shit you know always. not that I you know if you never ever want to go through things like that but when you, when you do you can always turn them into something a learning curve of some sort mm-hmm. um, and having that you know I was listening to you uh, with Bedros Koulian who's, who's <laughs> awesome I love him he's, he's another one that I he's <laughs> follow awesome guy. yeah awesome. he's just he's, he's a rock star um, and and you were you were talking about how you went through the Zen process where you were for a start you started meditating but you're just learning to quieten the mind and then after a few months that became then mindfulness where you're starting to observe yourself from outside mm-hmm. and splitting mm-hmm. the mind or, or somehow you 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 mm-hmm. put this and you're actually observing yourself as this higher self if you like mm-hmm. can you explain mm-hmm. that a little bit and how does yeah. That- I'm so glad you brought that up because I wanted to talk about that because you're right. It's meditation is hard, especially for active people, which everybody, everybody listening, everybody in the Western world is pretty much hyperactive. Yep. That's what we're taught is reality. Like go, 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 do, do, do. We get overcommitted. Now we have, you know, constant distraction with our iPhones and social media and and it's just going to get worse and worse, worse. Wait until we get plugged in with a neural link, you know, like, wow. So we got to push back against that. The only way to push back against that is to disconnect from all that and to sit still or stand still or take a walk, right? But don't do anything, right? Don't do it for a goal. Don't do it to check it off a box. Don't do it to be the best meditator, you know? <laughs> <laughs> check that box. It doesn't work, right? There's no, <laughs> That's what I was guilty of too. Right? There's no goals here, right? It's about becoming still, getting that, clarity and that still water mind back if you ever had it but we had it when we were kids of course but in a different sense so that you can 
evolve. You know, let me start there. I think that there's two reasons we're on this planet. One is to evolve, to become the best version, highest and best version of ourselves in this lifetime. Mm -hmm. And the second is to align with our calling or our purpose. And those two then really kind of go hand in hand or hand in glove. You can't evolve if you're constantly doing. You actually will stay stuck. You'll keep, you'll keep getting your ass handed to you. You'll keep suffering. You'll keep feeling victimized. And you'll keep looking outward for the solutions. And you'll keep blaming other people or society or taxes or the government or God. Yeah. Yeah. I'm laughing because I didn't <laughs> In that order, probably, right? <laughs> the answers lie within, right? And so the only way to go inward is to slow down and to be quiet right? So it's imperative. Now, why do most people fail? A, because everything I've just talked about, they haven't been taught this, but B, because their body mind, their body brain is very, very agitated. It's amped up because you've been taking all this stress on throughout your life. So what I teach is that the first step in meditation practice isn't mindfulness. It isn't a mantra practice. It's, it's just a box breathe, which is a pattern breath, yep. five count in, five count hold, five count out, five count hold, or yep. four or three if you have trouble with that. And just let that nostril breathing and that massaging the, the vagus nerve stimulate the parasympathetic nervous system. And it's bleeding off stress and bringing your body brain back it's into amazing. balance. Yep. When your body brain is back into balance, your brain is going to experience that as a lower frequency rate. Lower frequency means fewer thoughts. Right. If you're in gamma, it's like popcorn brain. But if you're in alpha, right, in alpha, like you're listening to beautiful music, classical music, or you're maybe doing some journaling, your mind stops racing and it starts to get into a and groove. lovely alpha state of focus. Yeah. And so the box breathing practice trains your mind to get back into alpha, trains your body to de-stress. And you do this, it might take you months, usually about three months, I, my, my clients have like this extraordinary calming that comes over them and they're already changed. But this yeah. is, you know, just the preparatory work, right? This also, for those who are working on their physical structure and their health and their weight, this also has enormous benefits because you begin to feel a lot better and you begin, you know, you're starting to breathe in that life force again and you're getting more oxygen in with every breath and you're retraining the breathing patterns. So this becomes your more natural state. If you, if you, let me just pause here. If you train for 20 minutes a day of a five count box breath, that's three breaths per minute. Over time, it might take a year or more. You're going to eventually settle into a natural breath pattern of six breaths per minute, which yep. is now proven to be optimal. Exactly. You know, when I, I've been doing this for years. I never knew that. It just kind of settled out there to where six breaths per minute through the nose was standard for me or is standard. And that's what will happen to you. Yep. You, but those are full breaths, full exhales, getting all the toxins out. The, especially the, health the benefits. exhale. Yeah. yeah the especially the exhale. Thing. It's, it's enormously beneficial for your body and everything starts to come back into balance. You start losing weight. You start eating better because you want to eat better. You start sleeping better because you got all that less cortisol and less stress. Wow. All that is foundational. Now with all that starting to happen, after three to six months, you can start to sit comfortably and you're starting to enjoy it and you're start to look forward to it. And that's when we can start meditating. Now, everything looks like meditation, but you're really sitting in box breathing. But now we turn that box pattern into a concentration practice. That's part two. And so the way I teach that is to visualize the box being drawn with each side being drawn in and mm -hmm. a different color, lighting it up and also adding that mantra. 
or one or the other, but they both work and they work together. So now you're giving your mind one thing to focus on. And this then develops that power to concentrate deeper, but also gives you the ability to notice when you're when you've lost your focus or you split your focus, you're wandering. And then you get develop the ability to bring it back quicker and quicker to the box better. And that's called attention control. So you're training yourself concentration, the ability to control your attention and the ability to be less distracted. Wow. Now that's mind training. And, and that's the part where I say you're, you're training your mind first with the box breathing, then with the second part of concentration and attention control to be like a, a tame, beautiful stallion that was a wild stallion. You know, a wild stallion is gorgeous, but it's dangerous. Mm-hmm. And most people's minds are like that. They're beautiful, but they're dangerous. Yep. Dangerous to themselves and to others. But once you train it by lassoing that mind and stabilizing it and calming it down, de- de-stressing it, and then able to focus it, then it's much happier and it's much calmer and it's going to serve you. Instead of trampling. Achieve more and do more. Right. And so that's step two in the process. And this might be like, again, everyone's going to be different, but six months to one and a half years. Then step three, and some of this stuff naturally unfolds, but like it's really powerful you recognize and you're deliberate about. You don't want to rush meditation. Like this is a lifetime practice. Be comfortable. Get it right in the beginning because it'll serve you for the rest of your life. So many people bounce around with meditation they they drown it. They're off it. They quit. They're just using a they're just using an audio app, you know, and they're not really training their brains. It does have some health benefits, but it's mm-hmm. it's not really training their minds. Yep. And furthermore, if you don't end up doing the emotional work, you know, you could really do what they call spiritual bypass or an emotional bypass, where you you could have some nice experiences. You go for the bliss and the white light and all that, but you're not doing anything to change your character, your underlying structures of beliefs and thoughts and biases, right? And so, like, I had a meditation teacher told me, Mark, you know, he wasn't talking to me. He was talking about meditation. He said, if you're an asshole and you start meditating and you meditate for 20 years, you don't do anything about that. (laughs) You're just going to be a more focused asshole. (laughs) (laughs) You did more assholeness. Oh, no. (laughs) Right. So you want to get this right. Meditation can be transformative at all levels, but you got to do it right. It's just like, you know, learning right foot placement and and proper alignment and structure to run 2000 kilometers. If you don't, you break, you know, same thing with meditation. If you go straight into like Kundalini yoga and you think, oh, that's it. That's my path. And you have a Kundalini awakening and you haven't done the foundational work to integrate that or to deal with that in your body then you could go crazy. And there are people around this world who are absolutely batshit crazy because they had Kundalini awakenings and they wow. weren't ready to handle it. Wow. Okay. So you anyway. need to do this. You, know, you, you need to, to do this work. Right. This is why the, the, yeah. why the yogis, the yogis would train for years and years and years in the asanas, the physical postures, so that when they were ready for that experience of enlightenment, which some, some had and some didn't, and they had that massive, like, lightning bolt of electricity just explode up their spine and integrate all their chakras and, and just drawing in all this life force that they, they were able to handle it. Wow. This intense experience. Now, that's a little bit advanced training, probably. Yeah. For, we don't need to go into much more of that here. Yeah, we probably but My point is that take your time. Don't be so goal-oriented with meditation. It's okay to be goal-oriented with your athleticism and with your business stuff. 
But when it comes to raising your kids and to meditation, it's better to be patient and to be present and just allow the process to unfold because it's going to be a little bit different for everybody depending upon where you are at psycho, uh, psychosocially and physically and emotionally. One thing I do want to, so, so one thing I just want to finish up this path. So you have the first part, which is the de-stressing the arousal control where you're just breathing for that. And then the second part where you're breathing for concentration and power and attention control. The third part, which you alluded to that opens up naturally is you start to take a little bit of the pressure off of the concentration training and you allow any thought streams to arise, right? With concentration training, you're trying to like, you're not trying to empty your mind of all thoughts because you're thinking of one thing and that is the concentration, you know, the object of concentration. And so you're putting a lot of effort into that mental effort, which develops mental power, but eventually you've got enough of that. And so you, you take off the gas a little bit and you allow less energy to put it, be put into the concentration and to allow other things to arise. And this is where you get that metacognitive split, which is a good That's thing. That's interesting. Yeah. So now it's almost like your brain has been partitioned into two hard drives. And one hard drive is your right brain, right hemisphere, which is fully online and aware now because of the concentration. It's not all subconscious. It's aware. It's able to see context. And the, and the, the second partition is the left hemisphere of your brain, which is the content thinking. And so you're box breathing softly, just you know, mindfully, just being aware, and you're seeing what's coming up but you've, you're seeing it from a perspective that's separated from the thoughts and emotions. This is a sea change in behavior. It's awakening to this, this understanding that you are not your thoughts and emotions, and therefore you're not the stories, and you can, you can change your stories. You can change your life by inserting new stories. So you're observing yourself from the outside as, a, as an extra character that's watching the emotions and the things that you're telling right. yourself and understanding that right. your actual brain that's been partly programmed in childhood and our culture mm-hmm. and everything that it's exposed to, which is running this pattern that's been running forever. Mm-hmm. And you're actually watching and seeing, oh, that's interesting that I you do that. You become the observer. You yeah. become the observer. I that's call that the witness. Powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And so then, then there's two more things we do in meditation. So once we begin to open up to the witness, the most powerful way to visualize is from the witness perspective, because you're doing it from your higher self. You're visualizing your future from that perspective. It's, it's, you know, a lot of people who start training, they start with visualization and they're like, I can't get a clear picture of my future. And they're really hooked to their thinking mind and they're thinking about doing in the future. When you can decouple from the thinking mind and, and look into the future from the perspective of your witness, you're basically seeing what your spirit wants you to see. And so that's going to be much more in alignment, if not in total alignment with what your real purpose is on this planet. And you're not seeing yourself doing, you're seeing yourself as a type of person, mm-hmm. like an archetypal calling. Uh-huh. You're seeing yourself as a healer, as a teacher, as a warrior, as a leader, as a, you know, and then that's going to have a certain flavor to it. Like a healer might be a healer of the earth or it might be a healer of you know, children, or it might be healer of elderly, right? So it's going to have a flavor to it that's going to come to you spontaneously. That's where intuition, you know, comes from. It's like this this deep knowingness inside or or transrational from outside of us, you know, which really isn't nothing outside of us, ultimately, you know. We create our own reality, and it's all basic, you know, it's all experienced with mind. So that's powerful. So witnessing can lead to most incredible thing, which is like embodied visualization where you're visualizing from the perspective of the witness and you are seeing your future clearly 
and you mm-hmm. practice that every day. And then that creates this massive magnetic pull because you're actually creating a memory of a future that is bound to happen, right? You know, we have these different kind of future strands, which, which are possibilities, but we get to choose which one now that's going to become the go from prop, possibility to probability to destiny. Wow. That's profound. And then the last thing that happens is when you stop doing anything at all, and this happened to me on the Zen bench when I was in my twenties and now it's, now it's routine where, you know, you can start breathing for arousal control and then you breathe for concentration. Then you open up to the mindful awareness and you see what's going on and you check in and make sure that everything's cool. And then you do your visualization and then you just stop efforting at all. You just stop trying to do anything and you just sit and rest and let your mind kind of rest. You're not going to sleep. But what you're doing is kind of turning inward and just letting awareness kind of search for itself. So awareness, your awareness is searching for, let's just say, absolute awareness. It's trying to recognize itself in the totality of everything. And it will find itself because it is the same as that. And this is when you get this like incredibly deeply connected feeling to all that is. Right. This is where the you know the ultimate road to the end of separation is this sense of yeah, this unity experience. That we're connected and we're super utterly connected. We all arise out of the self. same thing. Yeah. Right. Our higher selves are all rise out of the same thing. We have our unique aspects of it, but the metaphors that I love to use is you know we recognize that we're all like waves in the ocean, but we're still all we all have the same wetness the and we're connected to the ocean. <laughs> we're part of the ocean. We're like we're part a, of the ocean. A vessel yeah. in the ocean, but right. And and this this is another transformative experience in, in meditators' uh, progression and evolution is that they then never never do you go back to feeling separate again. You may have moments, but you you remember that oh yeah, this is a this is just a temporary experience of separation. Yeah. So let me go back and continue my training. And then the training starts to become integrated into your daily life. And then every moment becomes training. And then you, then you, that turns into a permanent state of unity experience. And that's, that would be called enlightenment. Wow. And this is like the whole, um, so the, the, this whole body thing. So it's not just training your body because everyone wants to know what diet right. do I have and what exercise should I be doing? But are we forgetting this big piece of the puzzle that we're not just physical beings and that That's we can right. access our, our, our neurology through our physiology and we can access also higher, higher mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. when we take the time. And, you know, it was a hard sell for me. Like I said, I struggled because I just like, well, want to be doing, you know, I'm an action oriented right. person. I want to be doing things and um, to actually take that time and it's not a waste of time. And, you know, when, when people say to me, but I haven't got time to meditate, well, that, you know, you need to make time to, yeah. to do all this stuff because, and you start off, you don't start off eight hours a day up in the mountains of no. doing it. Yeah. You know, you've got to, you've got to have a progress. Eventually <laughs> you nice. might want to do that. That's yeah, what yeah, I that'd be great. <laughs> <Wouldn't it? laughs> there was one other thing that you discussed too with Bedros that, that really interested me, which was re Recapitulation. Can you explain right. what recapitulation is and, uh, uh, and, and and how that sort of works? If I, I will. And I, I, before I do, I would like to just say that as an athlete, I imagine most people listening are athletes. We have a great opportunity and also great responsibility because most of the people, at least in the past, who have been drawn to meditation are are don't have the physical strength. Mm-hmm or capacity that we have. And so you end up seeing, you know, this is might be one thing that has a lot turned off a lot of people 
you know, um, healthy people, fit people. Is there like, well, that, that kind of, that Buddhist monk is fat, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> he doesn't look like I want to look, look like, <laughs> right. I don't want to look like that. Or I don't want to wear a robe and, and check out of society and you sit in the monastery words you know? and yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I, so those, you got to recognize that like Zen monasteries, I've been to Zen monastery before and it's just not my thing. Um, and people who are drawn to spiritual traditions, but ignore their body and ignore their emotions they're only, they're incomplete. They might have some advanced mental training, but they're incomplete. Their yeah. physical structure, and a lot of these people fall, right? They fail in the long run because they still get stuck in their ego or they're, they get really unhealthy and they fall apart. Um, so athletes can approach this from the perspective of total health, mm-hmm. right? Body, mind, spirit, or we say physical, mental, emotional, intuitional, and spiritual. And it's going to be a more complete process or, or package. And furthermore, you're going to be able to help others because you're going to be really healthy, really strong, really motivated, and, and you're going to have a lot of endurance. Yeah. yeah and you're going to, have, and you're going to be whole. So I think it's athletes and warriors who also become enlightened or awakened who are serving the world, who, are, who can change the world. Yeah. Together, right? Yeah. Because we've got the strength and the staying power. And, and also because we're, you know, we have to face our fears and our shadows because we do hard things we tend to actually be more emotionally balanced than people who don't. So that's the, I wanted to say that. So really that should be a motivating force. For, that's, <laughs> for that's, I mean, that's, you know, like, you know, that's what I've come full circle to is this holistic approach rather than yeah. the head through the wall approach, which, right. you know, in, in the gym or in the training field, you have to go sometimes to, you know, through to places that are not pleasant, sure. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. You don't need to neglect this other part of you, and that that's you, you are a whole, and it's it's not contradictory because a it's lot not. of people think, you know, Mark Devine, what's he about, man? Is he is he this hard ass athlete or is he this amazing spiritual teacher? And and he, what well, he's both, you know, and oh, that's not. Yeah, I a did my three hours of training this morning. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't. <laughs> today was dead. Stuff. Today was deadlifts and a, oh. and a nice functional lot and my yoga and meditation and wow. it's all together, right? It's all one thing. Back to your question. So, Im- imagery and visualization is such, such an incredible, powerful tool for us to create our destiny, which I've already talked about, but also to heal our past. So, recapitulation is where we use imagery. Ideally, also from the state of the witness, right? When we when we get there, mm. to go back into our past and to relive, re-experience and relive traumatic events, and then to recontextualize them and to forgive, both from a, a from your heart and from your dialogue, you know, uh, conceptual self, but also with the imagery, to see yourself forgiving your younger version of yourself, and then also to change that picture to change the image that you associate with it and the energy associated with it. This is often best done with a, a qualified coach or like therapist and in the process of like uh, EMDR, eye motion yeah. association training yep. is really valuable. And that's yep. something I do all the time. I have an EMDR coach and um, I continue to do this because there's no there there, right? You can peel the onion forever yeah, and then, then even go back into past lives right you work on the past life shit right <laughs> there's no end to this stuff right once yeah. you get into it you realize that it's a lifetime of work and the more you do the lighter you feel and the more energy you have and the more joy and, and bliss you bring into my life i like i call it akin to like dragging kettlebells of regret and, re- yeah. and resentment and Love resistance around 
<laughs> I love that quote because you, you're draining all that, like, you know, like what I've felt in the last years, like I'm pulling this heavy load of shit that's accumulated from all the traumas and all the shit that right. you've been through. And uh, so I've been working with Dr. Don Wood, who I know he's been yeah, on your sure. show, working through some of the traumas and taking the colour out of those memories and right. recapitulating. So what, what Don is do- doing is recapitulation. It's a same, form of it. Yeah, it's the same It's the same thing. thing. You ch- change the association, the energy, and the emotions, and the imagery with past traumatic events. First, you have to identify those events. Right. So awareness is the first step. I learned of recapitulation. I, I've done like thousands of hours of training in different systems, you know, not just Navy SEALs, but obviously yoga and Tibetan Buddhism and martial arts, Tai Chi, Qigong, now Aikido and my earlier stuff. And then even Apache scout training and um, some Toltec training. The Toltec training, they, they're the ancient warriors required the young men you know i don't know if it was, i don't think the women you know in ancient times in the toltecs were warriors but the men um by the way i only say that because of all the cultural work weirdness is going on in america anyways yeah absolutely. <laughs> you gotta be careful what you say now i don't want to get canceled <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, might, Google so, might take us off here. <laughs> right, exactly. So they they required their young men before they were uh, allowed to become warriors to spend a year in nature. Now that's people have wow. heard of that, right? You could take your year walk about, and assuming you survive. But what they had to do during that year was what was unique, and they had to recapitulate their entire lives day by day, all the way back to birth. Well, it's heavy. <laughs> it's heavy. So this did a couple did a couple things for them. One is it really developed their visualization skills. Yeah. Which then they were going to use for great benefit for their future. But they had to learn, you know, first to, to work with their past, and secondarily, it let them see and recontextualize and heal, you know, any regrets or any wounds or any trauma that they had or any mistakes that they made, so that when they were admitted to the warrior clan and they actually had to face battle, they didn't have any of that energy holding them back. If you think about like anyone listening or even you, like if you walk outside right now and someone's standing there with a sword, the first thing that's going to leap into your mind or in your heart is like, holy shit, I don't know if I can do this. Or, you know, there's, there's energy there that is going to prevent you from acting in a powerful way. Well, recapitulation and clearing all the energy will clear all that up. And you would just literally spring into action. Wow. So you wouldn't have that. You have that. You, you even overcome fear yeah. of death. Yeah. Wow. You haven't got that heavy backpack of shit. Right. You, exactly. You, yeah. And regret. I love that metaphor. We use that in our Kokoro camp, which is this 50 hour training that we have for Seal Fit, which uh, at once, in one sense simulates Hell Week. Mm. But in another, it's really designed to train these five mountains of the physical, mental, emotional, intuitional, and spiritual. And so we have, you know, the, the students end up, you know, this very long, painful hike. And they've got these 40-pound sandbags in their back. And, and they're doing all sorts of drills and skills. And at the end of this, we have them take the sandbag out and think about their biggest regrets and the big one. Like everyone's got like one big one. Yeah. The monster regret, you know. And then we have them cut the sandbag open and then they dump that regret out. And it's so powerful because people are literally in tears if they let that shit go. Wow. That is good. That's amazing because you, you've literally carried it up this bloody mountain. You've carried and it up the mountain. Foot and you've exhausted yourself. Right. And you're letting that, that stuff go. That's, that's cool. Huh? 
That's that's it's absolutely brilliant. And I think, yeah, we need to be doing and then doing this as a daily practice at the end of the day, going mm-hmm. back over your day so that yeah. you're not taking the shit from this day forward. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. So that the morning routine is to prepare to win your mind for the day and the evening routine is to look back and you know, make sure that you won the day and you learn from your mistakes and you let go of all regrets. So recapitulation is used in two ways. One is to go back and overcome the big things, the big mm. traumas like you're doing with Don. Yep. And the other is to go back and to literally just make sure that every day that you're not dragging any new kettlebells of regret into your sleep cycle, right? You, you deal with it right away. Like if you did something that you think was, man, I wish I hadn't done that. Well, either forgive yourself right away or go make amends right there. If you can pick up the phone, yep. send a text, right? Apologize Do it now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, or plan the critical conversation for the next morning, right? To get it off your chest. The faster you do, the better off you do. And then this becomes a practice of letting go. And, and having a daily practice of letting go of regrets and resentments is extraordinarily valuable, right? Because yeah. then it, it frees up all the energy before it takes root and starts to create a cancer, you know, of, of energy in your body. Incredibly, or a real cancer, frankly. Or literally, yeah. yeah. And, and this is the and, – and then we've got much more power to actually do the – the, the the stuff that we're meant to be here doing, yeah. you know, to right. help the people exactly. to to create the programs, the books, the podcasts, the whatever it is that you are whatever on your is. mission for. Um, you can't when you're carrying this huge, great load on your back. Uh, you know, I know that my 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 ability when I was in my thirties and I didn't have quite so much crap in, in there. Um, you know, I was unbeatable. I was like, uh, you know, and then as, you know, life keeps slapping you around the face and you, you're getting some big traumas happen, mm-hmm. you start to lose that energy and you start to like, and people go, well, you're just getting older, you know, the mitochondria <laughs> and all that. I was like, yeah. I know, this I is where people start to give up, right? Yeah. And that's, no, it's the time to get busy on What's yeah. important. And the older yeah. you are, the more you have to work. That's my mantra. Because, right. you know, like I've brought my mum back from a massive, massive aneurysm, which I've written a book about called mm-hmm. Relentless. And um, th- this story is really, really powerful. And But it, it's it's about like she's 79 years old and I train her like an Olympic athlete, you know. I, awesome. I, I make little concessions every now and again when she tells me <laughs> off, you know, like the other day she's, she's, she's willing to go through the hard yards to, to rehabilitate her brain because her brain was like, you know, in a vegetative state when she first had this, like not much happening upstairs at all. And um, so I've spent five years rehabilitating her and spending hundreds and thousands of hours retraining her from the, from the time of being a baby, like a being a baby. Wow. To being an adult and re- the neuroplasticity and all the things that I had to mm. learn and hyperbaric and the you know all the stuff that I did with her, but she hasn't given up. She hasn't ever said to me, "I don't want anymore," because she's a fighter. Even though she's a quiet, lovely lady, and you'd think, well, she's just a nice, you know, gentle lady. She's tough as nails when it comes to just getting up and doing the work today. Mm at the age of 79, and that is a huge role model for other elderly mm-hmm. people. Because mm-hmm. we, we tend to, you know, and I, and I really honour our, our elderly, you know, and part of my culture, I'm from Māori culture, and we do that quite well. 
and mm-hmm. uh, in, in normal culture, we seem to seem to think that you know older people are no no longer worthwhile, and they should you know they cost the society and they're they're a burden, and they're not. So this is where our wisdom and our and, and their experience, if we can help them be healthy and strong, and mm-hmm. you know my opinion is that they have to have goals and they have to be working, and mm-hmm. you know people always told me, oh, you should make it comfortable, and you know you know, hasten her exit of this world. And I'm like, hell no, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, (laughs) occasionally, like the other day, I was pushing down on her back as she was doing squats, you know, to give her some weight resistance because I can't put a barbell on her head, on her back yet. And and, and for for once, she she comes up and she goes, I want to punch you in the face. (laughs) And I'm like, it's the first time in five years. There's the fighter. Yeah, she usually just does whatever I ask her to do, but she was like, (laughs) she'd had enough of me that day. (laughs) Uh, But she fights every day, you know, and those sort of stories are powerful, but, you know, you have to, she she just gets up and does the work every day. So it's never too late and we Mm -hmm. should... We should be honouring our, our elderly people. We should be, mm-hmm. we should be giving them goals. I don't care whether you're mm-hmm. five or 105. You need to be aiming towards something. When you right. when you let go and you be comfortable and you just get into your comfy world and this is you know I'm going to sit back on the couch and watch Netflix and eat chips. Well then yeah. you're on the way down. You're, you're toast. Yeah, that's why the idea of retirement is such a killer. Like oh. it's, a, it's just a horrible deceit. Right? Yes. So get rid of that thought. Don't ever retire. Just change what you do and find something else you love to do and keep on setting goals and and achieving and growing. Yeah. Keep growing. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Mark, you've been absolutely amazing. I want to be respectful of your time because I could talk to you for hours. Literally, (laughs) honestly, I would love to just unpack all this stuff. But you've been absolutely amazing. Now, you have a number of books. You have courses online and and then you have live training camps uh, that people can go to, which (laughs) think twice about. I think they'd be pretty tough ones. (laughs) But um, where can people find you, your books and all of that? I love your style there. I think twice about going to his training. No, but it's no, probably no. a good advice. So, <laughs> um, well, my personal website is markdevine.com, which is kind of like a catch-all. My podcast can be found there. You can find my podcast at iTunes and all of that. And then um, follow me on Instagram at realmarkdevine. And books, you know, if you're interested in this training, you know, here's my last, like this one. Yeah, Unbeatable Mind is where, kind of where it all started. And I'm, yeah. I'm actually working on the fourth edition. My pandemic edition will be out in September. <laughs> <laughs> Staring Down the Wolf is uh, came out last year, right before the pandemic. This is about uh, emotionally powerful leadership. And then The Way of the Seal is really like how to think and lead like an elite warrior, like how to get oh. shit done. And there's some really good stuff in all these books. And they're all there's a little overlap, but they're all very, very different. And that, that actually, just before we do wrap up, that leadership piece of the puzzle, I have to ask this because my, my husband's a firefighter and he's leading mm. teams and, and, and so on. How do you get, if I can just ask for a couple of a quick tips on the leadership stuff, because that's probably another bloody hour, but um, how can you be a good leader? How can you get people who are disengaged back into, you know, into the into the game, into the team, being a part of a team. Yeah, well, you know that, that's a really good question. <laughs> yeah, thing sorry, first, I thought about now. <laughs> yeah, no. The first thing to do as a leader is to show up as the best version of yourself, humble, authentic, you know, trustworthy, courageous, and respectful. And so, th- those to develop those qualities takes some time. 
And, and you got to work on that and you got to work on it with the team and in front of the team and, and not hide it from the team and not, you know, not pretend to be perfect, not pretend you have all the answers. So most leaders are, are in their own way in terms of being able to unlock the power of their team because they don't, the team doesn't trust them because they don't know they're wearing a mask. So take the mask off, develop your whole self as a leader. Then what we like to do in our company Unbeatable is we like to develop leaders. We like to create teams within the companies that we work with for the sole purpose of development, which is really cool. We call them boat crews. So wow. imagine you're in a company or a fire department and you're in a boat crew with guys that are working on becoming better versions of themselves. So working on things like we've been talking about. And that ends up developing incredible trust and motivation because now everyone's, you know, they're taking the mass off together and they're holding each other accountable to be better people. And then they go out and fight a fire together, right? Yeah. And so it's, you know, that's, you know, simple things is like box breathing with it, with your team is very intimate and it creates this incredible resonance and trust in people. You start to recognize, like we were saying earlier, that we're not separate. One of the be- best ways to be motivated, uh, to help someone who's unmotivated get motivated, is help, help them end separation in themselves and to feel wow. connected. Yep. And how yeah. do they get them to take that mask off? And like, you know, because you, you you said uh, once somewhere um, that leaders are also followers, and that when you're mm-hmm. like the team is the new way yeah. of the future. Team's the new leader. The leader, the way, follower. The way we do it is to put everyone together into a crucible experience, into some experience where they they literally cannot solve the challenges alone. This is why we do these events that we have. Not they're not all hard. The SEAL events, the SEAL fit events are ridiculously hard and they're for people like you and spec, you know, spec ops candidates for SAS or SEALs or Green Berets, whatever. But with Unbeatable Mind, my company Unbeatable Mind, which is the sign behind me, we do this with corporate clients and, you know, we have 50-year-old women who are out of shape and they're like, ah, but we don't beat them up like Navy SEAL training. We just get everyone uncomfortable together. This is what we'll be doing like yoga and breath work and ice baths and integrated training we teach them a lot of the skills of unbeatable all the skills of unbeatable mind but we have them do it together as a team we have them hold each other accountable we have them um really open up and develop more of that vulnerability and that's really uncomfortable for a lot of people and so like we did an event last week where two of the individuals hadn't even spoken to each other in over a year by the end of the event they were hugging Wow. And like being like, wow, I, you know, I'm sorry you know, that, that I treated you like that and wow. I projected all that on you and whatnot. So it really helps. Like we start all of our training events with, with corporate teams or organization teams or even athletic teams with a three day or two and a half to three day event like this, which is very, very dynamic, very integrated. It's not all very and it's only a little bit of a physical training, but it's definitely there. Right. Yeah. And so. They're, they're learning all these skills, the all, all five mountains. They're doing physical, mental, emotional, intuitional, and spiritual development as a team. And then after that, we work with them for a minimum of four to six months in a boat crew, right? In a small team setting with a certified coach. And the combination of those two is just transformative because then they're practicing all these skills we talked about both individually, but all as a team. And they're being held accountable and they're doing challenges together. Right. And they're having really authentic communications together and they're working on emotional things They're working on their you know, mental strength. And 
physical strength and setting goals. And it's really, really powerful. And that must completely change corporations when you do that, it, yeah. to that intensity. Because it can be, yeah. Because we all go to work, you know, a lot of people go to work and they have this professional persona that they put on right. and they, they're all doing their interactions with this. And then they go home and go, fuck, you know. Right. And they take the mask off and yeah. pick up the beer or the wine. Right? Uh, yeah, because of the frustration and the, oh my God, I'm not coping. Uh, and if we can, you know, it, it, like I often get, I know we have to wrap it up, but if we can, um, you know, like just be real with each other, we're human beings, you know, like we not have to go around like the queen of England and observe all these (laughs) protocols and stuff and be professional. Like, can't we just be us, you know? People are craving leaders who are real. Yeah. And that's what we need. And that's what we need to work on. The, the, just doing the work that we talked about today, brings it right it brings that reality back because you're 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 discovering the truth of your own nature and then as a leader you just want to bring that to your team first as how you show up and then by starting to introduce these ideas and then by starting to train together and eventually i think you know where the world will change is when when we all start changing ourselves but then we then each organization becomes a change agent internally, meaning you're changing the people. You're not trying to like have a bunch of jerks trying to change the world through donating to some social cause <laughs> or demanding some social cause on social media. You're all changing. The organization is changing because you've mm. got the practices, you're practicing breathing and mindfulness and authentic communications and, and compassion within the workforce. And then that shows up in how you interact with your customers and how you interact with the environment, and et cetera. Uh, and it just it just it just covers that whole area and this team of the you know leaders followers and having that change around you know right. you, just because you're the one that's the, got the officer or whatever on your shoulders and it doesn't mean that you are always in the lead role that's you know right. sometimes right. you can be in the follower if you've got that and, and having having been comfortable with that that's right I think well that, that is a good place to wrap it up Mark you've been absolutely wonderful today thank you so Thanks. much so unbeatablemind.com uh the three books, um, um, The Way of the Seal, Unbeatable Mind, and uh, help me with the third one again. <laughs> Staring Down the Wolf. Staring I will say wolf. that we have this amazing entry course that we created this year. Yeah. It's a 30-day kind of challenge course where it's like 15 minutes of training day. I, I have a video training, and then there's a little journaling. And it can be found at unbeatablemind.com slash challenge. Wow. And we can do and this online. You can do it all online oh, and I'll get emailed to you and people love it. And it's a great way to learn box breathing and visualization and micro goals and a lot of things we talked about. And it's super cheap. Like it's, it's ridiculously cheap. That sounds like, like $99 or something like that. Yeah, so go yeah, check yeah. it out. That sounds like a really good place for people who, you know, stuck in New Zealand, can't fly to America to go to That's to right. Yeah, no. or something. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Which I'd love to. Mark Devine, you've Come been ahead. amazing. You're just incredible, man. And I thank you so much for your time today. That's it this week for Pushing the Limits. Be sure to rate, review and share with your friends. And head over and visit Lisa and her team at lisatarmaty.com. 